You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. There seems to be a perception among Christians that Lutherans are somehow against holy living or against good works. And yet in the Catechism we confess that we ask God's name to be holy among us and that this takes place when the Word of God is taught in its truth and purity and we as children of God lead holy lives according to God's Word. God says, be holy, be perfect, as I the Lord your God am holy and perfect. But does he really mean it? Stay tuned for Equipping the Saints with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Equipping the Saints. I'm Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Adam Moline and uh, Vicar Thomas Goodroad. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. And uh, Vicar's being silly right now, so I ha- I can't look at him while I talk. It might uh, might disrupt my wordage. But uh, it is uh, a great privilege to be able to be here to dig deep into God's Word. We've been working our way through Paul's letter to the Christians at Ephesus, and we've been spending uh, the last several episodes in Ephesians chapter 6. We're uh, I don't know if we're going to be able to finish up the book today, but we're going to... Um, look at the last section, and uh, this last section does uh, teach us many things, but specifically at the beginning of this section, it talks about prayer, and um, we can discuss whether prayer is uh, the um, seventh or the last part of the armor of God that Paul is encouraging the Christian to put on, or if this is a a completely different section here, kind of a summary section. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through the end of the chapter, the end of the book, uh, 18 through 24, and we'll see how far we get. Uh, Pastor Moline, how are you today? I'm doing well, Pastor Poppy. <laughs> Be careful with that one. You could emphasize your name in lots of different ways. Yeah, yeah, that's Pope. Oh, uh, that, that's for the that's for the French listeners that are out there. Uh, Vicar, do you want to uh, share with us, beginning at verse eighteen uh, through the end of the chapter, please? Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of this gospel, of the gospel, excuse me, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. Okay, there you have it. And uh, you may have noticed that the the ending of Ephesians, uh, you know, many of the endings... 
and beginnings, for that matter, of uh, Paul's epistles are kind of a standard form, and uh, this one is quite different. And so uh, we'll have an opportunity either in this episode or our next one to uh, talk about that. But uh, this is episode 15 of Equipping the Saints, and we're going to start with verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 6. Pastor, um, there is a, uh, it's certainly not a controversy, but a uh, question, probably a minor question. Some, uh, Some of the later additions of uh, the Greek New Testament, especially the most recent one that I'm aware of, Nestle Allen 27, uh, starts a new section here in verse 18. And uh, there's there's a lot that has been written with regard to whether verse 18 should be re- read with the previous section or whether verse 18 starts a new section. Do you, do you have a uh, strong opinion one way or the other on that? Well, it's one of those things that's uh, difficult to say because, um, you know, the way that the New Testament was originally written was in Greek, uh, in in uncials, um, which means all capital letters with no spaces. And so sometimes there are a little bit um, confusing parts where we have to do a little bit of guessing, at least to how to divide things up, the sentence-wise, thought-wise, even sometimes word-wise, not to put doubt in the New Testament. It's very clear in the important things, but there are those places where there are questions. And so um, my best advice in this matter is to just ignore the subheadings uh, beyond helping you find the verse you're looking for. Um, Don't let the subheadings to define your theology, they are not inspired. The words in between them are. Uh, I think that's uh, <clears throat> very, very wise. Uh, and sometimes we forget that not only the subheadings, but also the notes in our study Bible are neither inspired nor inerrant. And uh, I've encouraged people to, especially with regard to the notes, to spend more time in the actual text above the notes than in the notes, because sometimes that can get you in trouble, especially depending on the uh, type of Bible that you have, you know, whether it be the the new Lutheran study Bible, which is quite good, or uh, the the predecessor to that, the Concordia self-study Bible. I always thought that was an odd terminology because it implies that the Bible studies itself. Uh, But uh, uh, this is... uh, this is a minor point, and can prayer be understood as a part of the armor of God? Well, of course it can be, but it's used, the, the terminology here is used in a completely different way. Prayer is not equated to a particular part of armor or anything like that. So uh, it seems to me that this is more of a conclusion and uh, that uh, If you want to look at prayer as a vital part of being a Christian, that's wonderful. And that certainly fits in with with the context of what we're reading. But I think we really have a new section here. Well, uh, I I don't know. Uh, The the challenge is is that we're talking then about the Spirit again, which is in both of those. You have the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and then praying in the Spirit, which I think is important for us to at least focus on, whether it goes with the section before or it's its own conclusion. It teaches us about prayer, that prayer primarily is speaking God's Word back to Him, and that the Holy Spirit who comes to us in the Word then is also... um, 
I don't know if this is the right way to say it or not, but uh, also talking to God on our behalf. And so the Holy Spirit, in a sense, is this intermediary going back and forth between us when God's Word is the foundation for both of these things. No, I think that's, I think that's very well said, and I think it can go either way. I really do. And so I don't think it's a major part uh, if this is a part of the previous section or the next one. Um, we have um, words here in the, uh, in the ESV, praying at all times with all prayer and supplication. Now, help me out here, Pastor, but I think those are three different words in, uh, in the Greek. Um, well, we have... They're, they're synonyms, of course. Right. We have a couple different words here. We have prosukes, uh, which is the, um, the, the noun form, I guess would be the right way to say it, uh, the actual thing that is prayer, so in all prayer. And then you also have the verb form, right, um, where you have ones, and it's actually in a, um, a participular form, uh, the ones praying uh, all things in the Spirit. And then you have a different word uh, later on that means entreaty uh, or um, petition. Petition. Yeah, maybe that would be another way to say it, which would be more like you're doing to a ruler uh, rather than specifically to a god. And so you have these, these three things that are being used here to talk about the same activity. The um, prayer and petition, these, uh, this coupling or this uh, phrase prayer and petition is quite common in the New Testament, and uh, it almost always, if not always, refers to the divine service and the liturgical prayers that are in the divine service. And I think that's one of the reasons why some people take this as a new section, that you've put on the armor of God, and uh, as you are preparing for battle. Um, God is fighting with you. God is fighting for you. The goal is to, at the end of the battle, to stand, to be, to be remaining, to be standing. And uh, one of the ways we do this is uh, by being faithful in the divine service, by hearing God's word, believing God's word, living God's word. And a part of that living and active faith is Prayer. Now, certainly individual prayer is important, but it, it brings a whole different uh, context if we view this in light of the divine service, the general prayer that we have in church, the, uh, the three different terms kind of, kind of uh, giving us the picture, the big picture of prayer for everybody, for all people, uh, not only for ourselves. Your, uh, your thoughts on the liturgical context and uh, the divine service nature of this uh, exhortation? Well, I think that is um, absolutely true, and I think that that shows us how important it is, number one, to be in church on a Sunday morning and not to be uh, at home uh, or even to think that, uh, you know, uh, it's just me and Jesus in this fishing boat on a Sunday morning. Uh, it is important to be in church. And I think uh, additionally, one of the things I hear as a pastor so often is, well, I don't really know how to pray that well. Or if you ask someone to pray uh, or, you know, you eat dinner at someone's house and they uh, expect that, uh, um, you know, they should pray before they eat because the pastor's there. They, well, they really don't know what they're doing, so they usually ask the pastor to do it. 
if you want to learn how to pray, the place to go, uh, besides going to God's word, is to go to the divine service. Because in the divine service, the prayers of the church generally cover every topic that you would need to pray with, uh, as well as uh, already doing that in the Lord's Prayer. And so those give us two really good examples for how our normal day-to-day prayer ought to look. Um, And so we can learn a lot from that, and that's why being at church is important. In verse 18, it says, thank you for that, by the way. It says, praying at all times in the Spirit. So does that mean that we should be praying at all times, 24-7? Oh, by the way, in the Spirit. Or praying in the Spirit when we pray at all times. Uh, synonymous with faith. How, uh, how are we to understand that opening phrase there, Pastor? Praying at all times in the Spirit. Well, here's where um, we have the idea that we're the, uh, the participular form means that we're the ones doing the praying, and we're doing it uh, with two dative um, descriptors, right? Uh, so at all times and in the Spirit. And so both of these things are true, and they Uh, go together. They each have their own preposition next to them to indicate uh, that they are both important and true. And so uh, I think at all times, that's the reality that a Christian uh, lives out in their day-to-day life. As they think about the things, as they're going about their day, they pray. Uh, And again, uh, this is where we just learned about the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, uh, which is God's Word. And so where do we learn how to say what we want to say to God? We learn it in the Scriptures. And I would especially drive us to the Psalms in this particular instance at which we learn how to pray about just about everything. Praying in the Spirit uh, would seem to me to be an exhortation to pray with faith, pray in faith. Is, is there any connection uh, there, or am I trying to read something into the text? Uh, well, yeah, but and my question would be, how does faith come? It comes through the Word, and I would say it does not mean what it often sounds like in America here today, uh, where the Holy Spirit possesses you and you speak in some sort of a tongue and chant some weird Good thing. Point. It is God's Word that is the defining characteristic. Amen. We'll be back with Ephesians 6, specifically verse 18, when we come back from our break. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Goodroad. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We are digging deep into Ephesians chapter 6. We are looking at verse 18. We've been talking about prayer in general. We've been talking about prayer in the divine service, prayer that is flowing from the Word of God. Uh, Pastor, is there any other kind of true prayer that does not flow from the Word of God? No, 
There's not. I mean, I guess you could say there's false prayer to pagan deities and government uh, authorities and things like that. But um, real, true prayer always is informed by God's Word. And that's because, apart from God's Word, there really is no way the Holy Spirit works faith in us. Uh, It is in the Word that faith comes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And prayer is the voice of faith that speaks to God. Uh, I think we had an entire episode of... um, at home in your hymnal talking about this idea. And so that's a really important thing is that true prayer always has its origin in what God says to us, the gifts that he gives and the promises that he makes. And then uh, we speak back those words that we learn and we hold God to the promises that he makes. And uh, we tell him the things going on in our life where he can use his promises to care for us. I I really think that's uh, helpful and very important for us. And uh, the Word of God teaches us why we pray. The Word of God teaches us how to pray. The Word of God teaches us who to pray to. The Word of God teaches us what to pray for. And, uh, you know, also on the flip side of that, the Word of God teaches us what things not to pray for. We wouldn't pray for anything that would be against God's Word or hurt or harm ourselves or our neighbors. And uh, I don't know why, but it seems like Lutherans really struggle with the idea of prayer. We're, We're full of guilt because we don't pray enough. And then when we, when we start to think about prayer or examine prayer, the first thing we want to do is turn it into a means of grace, that by my prayer, I make God do something, or by my prayer, I can manipulate God, or by my prayer, I am automatically growing in the faith. And I don't know why it is that, that we fall in those two ditches, either by not praying or by having a false understanding of prayer. But I, I think this is the place and this is the time to uh, wrestle with some of those um, directives that God gives us on prayer. I think so, and I think um, I've seen the same issue. People don't pray or they think that prayer is the way that God saves them, and I think that comes out of the um, general Baptist uh, world that we live in here in the United States, and so it is definitely wrong. But I think if you look at the position of this in relation to the rest of the book of Ephesians, we've seen how God has brought us out of our old way of living and put us in a new way. And so when we're talking about prayer here, it is a part of the new man, the Christian man, who has already been saved by Uh, God giving his gifts in word and sacrament to him. And so prayer follows conversion, not prayer bringing about conversion. Vicar, you've been uh, been a Lutheran your whole life, and I don't want to put you on the spot here, but uh, is is your experience with regard to prayer, either not praying or having a false understanding of prayer, is is this kind of your experience and what you've seen and what you've experienced and even at your time at the seminary, or uh, is this is this a, a whole new concept for you? Um, I've certainly been exposed to uh, people being totally, uh, having the wrong idea about prayer and what prayer does and, and how you pray. Um, mainly in the Lutheran church, at least where I grew up, 
there was a lot of teaching about prayer and, and what it does and how you pray and everything. So in my own experience at my own church, I didn't have a lot of misunderstandings about that or see a lot. Uh, but in the general communities I was part of, like the homeschool community especially, that is full of people who are of a non-denominational persuasion, there was a lot of misunderstanding about prayer. And especially the idea that, well, you really, really have to believe it uh, for it to come true. Kind of like uh, a birthday wish or something. Oh, you got to blow out the candles, but don't say what your wish was, and then it'll come true. Um, that's... I think that's the general understanding of prayer in the Christian community. Today. Well, and I, I, I hear people along that same line will say something like, well, I've got a big decision coming up, so I'm going to go home and pray about it. Um, and I think that's good. But to give the uh, implication that if I pray ha- hard enough and long enough that God is going to send me some special direct revelation to tell me what to do with this decision, I think that's where the evangelical Baptist kind of nature of God speaking to me through my prayers, I think that's where that false understanding uh, really comes in. Because when we do it that way, if we think God's speaking to me through my prayers, uh, then we see who our real God is. It's us. Because usually when we have that understanding in prayer, we're praying for the things that we want uh, rather than the things God promises. Uh, And then we convince ourselves in our prayers that God is subject to us and he'll do what we want, and God is not. God is God, and God does what God desires, and God tells us what we should ask him for uh, in the Scripture, in the Word, and those are the things that we ought to pray for. That's why the prayer that Pastor uh, Pope keeps on praying, um, Lord, please let me win the lottery, never comes true. It's because that's not something God has promised him. And so the prayer, uh, in a sense, is a, is a prayer that is self-serving and worshiping yourself. Amen. Connected to that idea, too, I think, is a misunderstanding of faith, uh, essentially, and where faith comes from. Just because so many people, they'll, they'll read the verse about, oh, having the faith of a, of a mustard seed uh, and being able to move mountains is that, oh, if I just have enough faith, if I can try hard enough to have enough faith and fill myself up enough with enough faith, then I can spend those faith points uh, on prayers and make them come true. <laughs> Like showbiz pizza. <laughs> yeah, spend those faith points. You know, they don't give coupons at uh, uh, Subway anymore. So anyone that you have in your 20-year-old billfold, just well throw it away. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. That's verse 18 of Ephesians eight uh, 6. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, when I read to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, that makes me think that this is more intimately connected with the armor of God uh, because, you know, now you're clothed and ready for battle. Stay alert, you know, and uh, this is how you do it. Well, and I think it emphasizes the fact that the, the Christian needs to constantly be doing this. This is, again, building on the idea of before at all times. You need to be praying if you are a Christian. And so if you're listening to this and you're a Christian, pray. Pray while you drive. Pray when you get up in the morning. Pray before you go to bed. Pray at meals. Uh, pray while you're in the shower. Whatever it is, find a way to f- make time to pray. And uh, it doesn't have to be a fancy prayer. It doesn't have to be a memorized prayer. Uh 
the prayers of the righteous availeth much. We have that promise, and God encourages us to pray. When you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, pray like this. In verse 18, it says, um, uh, keep alert with all perseverance. Now, perseverance gives me the picture of, of you know, staying um, Keeping at it. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. Perseverance. Um, is this a reference? When I see that word perseverance, I want to think um, you can fall from your faith. You can lose your faith. So you must, you must have this perseverance to the very end. Again, Pastor, am, uh, am I reading too much into that word? Well, um, the the word in the Greek is agrupuno. Uh, sorry, agrupneo, agrupneo, um, and uh, outside of the New Testament, it has this idea of lying awake or being wakeful in a sleepless sort of night, um, and and so this is the idea. It's not. Um, you're not. This is to, to quote Jesus again. You're not going to fall asleep. How often does he say, "Wake up"? You'd know neither the day nor the hour. That's the idea. You can't put it off as if, well, I'll pray when I get old in the nursing home uh, because then I'll know I'll be closer to dying or whatever. We need, or to, I'll have more time. I'll have more time. We need to uh, make this a priority now, even more of a priority than uh, than sleeping. I'm not suggesting that you stay awake all night praying or something like that. But um, as Christians, we can't let our faith just go to sleep, uh, lulled there by soccer practices and by work and by bills that need to be paid. We need to be praying with perseverance, uh, keeping our faith awake and alive. And again, not a means of grace when I say that. Uh, that's just the way we are as Christians. It's, it's who we are, and it's how that faith is exercised, I guess is probably a way, a way to say it. Uh, there, is, there is sort of an eschatological end times, Jesus is coming back, kind of a flavor in this whole chapter. And I think that word kind of makes me want to go there. Uh, I want to finish up this verse in this segment. It says, making supplication for all the saints. Um, Pastor, we've heard, we've heard the encouragement, you know, from, from little all, a little on, that, uh, you know, we should pray for others before we pray for ourselves. Is that what we're talking about here when, when Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is exhorting us to pray for all the saints? Well, uh, I don't know that we would make a, an, an order necessary, right? Uh, we are saints ourselves, and so it is appropriate for us to pray for the things that we need. At the same time, uh, we aren't self-centered and think that uh, only my concerns matter. We, we are the body of Christ, and um, we should know the other members of our congregation, the other people and the things they're dealing with, those who are sick, those who are, um, you know, dealing with family or marital problems. We ought to know all these things and pray for these people. 
What that involves then is something that's rather uncomfortable for us as modern day people, and that's to open ourselves up and talk about the things that are going on in our life with the people in our congregation. So often people are embarrassed to do so, right? Uh, They'll come and they'll say to the pastor, you know, I, I just wanted to let you know X, Y, and Z is happening. And the pastor will say, well, can we add you to the prayers? No, 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 I, I'm too embarrassed, or I don't want people to know, or anything like that. Um, it, it shouldn't even be coming through the pastor. We ought to all love and care for each other so much, just as Christ did for us, that um, we are asking our fellow Christians to pray for us all the time and sharing the problems that we have and showing compassion even beyond the prayer uh, to care for the people who need it in the congregation. And this is this is a huge problem in our modern society and world because we're embarrassed to do these things. And uh, we, r- we run into this on a regular basis, on a weekly basis. You know, we have a listing of prayer requests in our own news and notes here at Good Shepherd. And, uh, you know, some people might get the impression, oh, they're just showing off uh, by how many friends they have that they've asked for prayer requests. Or, uh, oh, that wasn't that big of a deal or that big of a problem. Why are we praying for that in church? And so we, we have both sides of the problem. One, where people don't want anyone to know and uh, rob me, literally, of the opportunity to pray for my fellow Christian. And on the other side, people assuming negative or false motives for somebody that wants a prayer request. We're so scared, we don't even want to pray for people unless we have explicit permission so we don't get chewed out for having prayer. We'll pick this up when we come back from our break. Equipping the saints, don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Goodroad. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship Sunday morning at 8 and 10.30, Wednesday evening year-round at 6.30. Uh, Advent and Lent, we have uh, special services. Check out our church or radio website for those services. All of our services are broadcast live on KNNA 95.7 LP right here in Lincoln. And we've got a lot Lots of stuff archived. Uh, you can go to the church website, goodshepherdlincoln.org, the radio website, thecross957.org, or check out KNNA Theological Programming on your favorite podcast provider. We're looking at Ephesians 6, 18 and following, and our first two segments we spent on the topic of prayer and uh, examining verse 18. I want to move on to verse 19 now in this segment. Um, Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And that's where verse 18 ends. And then verse 19 continues, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Uh, before, Before we get into what 
Paul specifically is asking them to pray for with regard to him, he does, he does add this, and also for me. Pray for everyone. Pray for all the saints, and also for me. We've, uh, we've talked that more than likely this exhortation to prayer is an exhortation to go to church, to pray in the liturgical setting, in the divine service. The uh, general prayer follows this uh, order or structure where we have the opportunity to pray for anybody and everybody. And then Paul also throws in, and also for me and also for me. Uh, should Christians, Pastor, uh, be embarrassed or ashamed uh, to ask for prayer from the church or from a fellow believer? Kind of follow up on uh, where, we, where we kind of abruptly cut off on our last segment? No, they should not. They should ask it. Uh, they should ask for prayers. Uh, not just in the divine service, but from their Christian friends that are members of the congregations that they're at. They ought to pray uh, for all these people and to ask for prayers for the things on their own things, their own their own minds. I would say, too, then, uh, this is not quite what Paul's saying in this particular section. Paul is talking specifically about him as a pastor, and you ought to pray for your pastors as well, and for the reason that Paul gives, that they might open their mouth, because... I don't know about you, the biggest temptation that I face as a pastor on a regular basis is to just be quiet, to not call something what it is according to God's Word, or to ignore it, or to be silent, or to forget about it, or let the little things go. And Paul's prayer request here is that he might open his mouth boldly uh, to speak the truth of God's Word. And that's uh, something you ought to pray for your pastor's sake as well. Very well said. Thank you. Uh, before before we get into that in great detail uh, with regard to what Paul is asking for, what about, um, you know, it's not su- such a big deal now as it was 10 or 15 or maybe 30 years ago, but what about prayer chains uh, where where Christians link up in various ways, either by the phone or social media, and uh, have prayers this way. Prayer requests on Facebook or Twitter or other places like that. Uh, It seems to me that sometimes we give the impression that if we can have 50 people praying for something rather than five people praying for something, God's more likely to hear that (coughs) prayer. How, How do we understand these kind of more public approaches to prayer that are outside the divine service. Well, I, I disagree with the idea that the more people that pray, the more likely it is to happen. That goes back to the idea that actually we're praying to God, and he's not manipulated by our prayers. Um, rather, we're praying for the things he tells us to pray for, and so um, uh, that's the important thing. Now, are prayer chains good? Yes, because that's a way to organize and communicate the things that uh, we would like to have prayed for. And so in that regard, it's good. But if we think it's a way to get what we want, then that's the problem again. Um, I, I'm always really nervous about posting prayer requests on Facebook uh, because oftentimes that is not done to actually 
desire the prayers in the proper manner, but to actually put the emphasis once again on oneself and to draw attention to oneself and get uh, sympathy and compassion for oneself in a public way. So I'm not comfortable with posting that sort of thing on uh, social media. I'd rather talk to people uh, who are Christian friends and tell them face-to-face or on the phone or or, uh, in another fashion not make it a public thing for the entire world to feel sorry for me. And I, that maybe sounds really harsh and cruel. I don't mean it that way. But what I want to do is to keep Christ and God at the center of our prayers. Vicar, your head was going like a bobblehead dog in the back of a window of a 68 Chevy as Pastor was talking about Facebook or other types of social media. Uh, comments on that? Yeah, sorry. It was supposed to be a bobblehead in the back of a 55 Chevy, not a, not a 68, but that's fine too. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, I, I see, I see that all the time on all kinds of social media, people posting, Oh, pray for this or pray for that or whatever. But just like pastor said, um, that's, that's really not where you want to post your prayer requests. And that's not who you want to go to, uh, when you need prayers, because who else is going to see this prayer request and who exactly are you asking to pray for you? Well, everyone. That includes unbelievers. It could be people who have absolutely no idea who you are or what you're asking for, or even what God to pray for. What, who you want to go to is your brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm just going to say, too, uh, Facebook is not a real place, and it's not a real place to interact with people, and neither is Twitter. They're fake. Or They're in, imaginary. Instagram. They, or They are not a substitute for the church, and uh, more and more thinking that, you know, being in these places is not actually beneficial for your Christian life. So I'm just going to throw that out there and say that, and you can disagree. Um, I don't think it's beneficial for your Christian life to be in social media. Yeah, you can send your hate mail to... Yeah, uh, <laughs> go <laughs> no, ahead. And and I have, uh, you know, because I think, I think the negative too very often outweighs the good with regard to the social media. And... Uh, if for no other reason than it is a giant time waster. And uh, uh, when people when people can't sit through a 60 or 75-minute church service without getting out their social media and checking how many people liked their post uh, during a sermon or whatever, I mean, th- this is, uh, it's, it's gotten it, you know, kind of carried away in that respect. All right, we got way offline there, but... Um, uh, again, that was Pastor Moline who made that comment. It, it's uh, true. I mean, yeah, it, it is. It true. takes away from our Christian fellowship. It takes away from our time in God's Word. There, there are people out there who uh, live their entire lives uh, on social media, and all that they're doing is like moving ones and zeros uh, from one computer to another. And think about when they look back at their life on the last day uh, when Christ raises from the dead. You know, well, what did you do? Well. I, I did that. It's not that great. Uh, here, here's a little exercise, then I'm going to bring that to a close. Here's a little exercise. If you wonder whether you're spending too much time on social media, unplug or shut off your phone or your computer for an hour. For an hour. And if you are going buggy, because you don't have your phone or don't have that computer for an hour, then you've probably got a bit of an issue, a bit of a problem that you need to you need to deal with. If uh, that hour goes by just like any other hour of your day, then 
then you probably have a more healthy approach to those kind of things. Verse 19, what he wants the specific prayer, Paul says, pray for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Um, you know, so many times that phrase, opening the mouth, is uh, not even translated. I'm thinking of uh, Acts chapter 8 where with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and there's a section there where it says, and he opened his mouth and told him the good news of the gospel. Uh, opening the mouth isn't even translated in most English translations. It's just kind of a given, but it is emphasized in Scripture. And you you hit on it before, Pastor. The biggest temptation of a for a pastor is to keep his mouth shut when it should be open. And I'll I'll take your confession there uh, of the temptations that you have, and I'll go one further. Uh, for me, there's a flip side to that. I have no problem opening my mouth when I should keep it shut. And then sometimes when I should keep or when I shouldn't keep it shut, that's when I'm tempted to keep it shut and open it. So it's kind of a both and. I, and I think that's true not only for every pastor, but for every Christian. Well, even when the mouth, so if you look at the prayer that, that Paul requests, that the mouth might be opened in order to make known the mystery of the gospel. And I think sometimes pastors have that problem, right? Uh, we'll open our mouth to talk about uh, uh, feelings or, or some other weird nonsense or, um, you know, to uh, uh, organize a meeting or a, a congregation or something. The main thing that our mouth should be open for is the preaching of God's Word. And anything else, uh, whether it be kingdom work or some other nonsense like that, is baloney. It needs to be Christ crucified and risen for the sins of the world and nothing else. And um, um, that's a hard sell. That's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to understand. And we constantly, as pastors, need to repent of ourselves so that as Paul requests, our mouths might be open to make known the gospel. Is this a place to bring in uh, the uh, versicle from Vespers and Matins from Psalm 51? O Lord, open my mouth, uh, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. Is that what we're talking about here? Because God is the one who opens our mouth. God is the one who gives us the words to say. And earlier on in uh, Ephesians 5, or maybe it was Ephesians 4, where it talked about when we're following, when we're walking under a different leader, the corruptible talk comes out of our mouth. And now we're praying that God would open our mouth so that the gospel would be proclaimed, that we, that we would pray for all the saints. Is, uh, is that kind of the connection here? Yeah, absolutely. So Christian pastors should preach the gospel. We're not counselors. We're not uh, psychologists. We're life not coach? Life coaches. Can I be your life coach? We're not uh, here to show you how to make a lot of money and win friends and influence people. We're here for one reason, one reason alone, and that's the gospel. And the average pastor today wants to be all those other things and not to actually have to deal with sin and forgiveness. And because that's for hard that, work. we need to repent and we need to pray this prayer of Paul because he's giving us uh, exactly the right example here uh, as clergy persons. It's hard work uh, to be about the vocation that God has given you. And... 
when you are about the vocation that God has given you, whether it be pastor, proclaimer of the word, or Christian, hearer of the word, the fiery art, uh, fiery darts of the devil are certainly going to fly. And we would rather uh, avoid those by keeping our mouth shut rather than extinguishing them with the shield of faith that Paul just talked about just verses before. This is Equipping the Saints. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 6. We need to take a break. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Goodroad. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in. We are looking at the section of Ephesians chapter 6, uh, 18 through the end of the chapter is kind of our broader picture here, but uh, I think we're only going to get through verse 20 today. In our first two segments of this episode 15, we looked at verse 18 and talked a lot about the theology of prayer. In our last segment, we looked at verse 19 and specifically at what Paul asked the Ephesian Christians to pray for with regard to himself that uh, words would be given to Paul, that he would open his mouth and boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And now in verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it, the gospel, boldly as I ought to speak. Pastor, uh, as we're going to talk about declaring it boldly, declaring the gospel boldly, uh, Paul calls it in verse 19, the mystery of the gospel. We're not talking about some like, like secret knowledge here or something like that, are we, that, uh, that only like some small Gnostic group would know with regard to mystery. What, what does he mean when he talks about the mystery of the gospel? Why in the world would God save us? Right? I mean, have, have you met yourself? Why would God save you? Have you met me? Why would God save me? It doesn't make any sense, but he did. There's the mystery. And it's not some secret knowledge or anything like that. I mean, have you met the vicar? Holy <laughs> smokes, God even saved him. Right? Uh, why? That's the mystery. But he did it. And we're out there to proclaim that to every single person, because every single person you could ask that question to, especially if you really knew them. If you knew the sin of every individual, that question doesn't have a good answer, and thereby it is the mystery. I think, uh, I think that is, is, is as profound and accurate an explanation as I've ever heard with regard to a definition of the mystery of the gospel. Um, the mystery, I mean, a secret is a secret until you tell someone, and then it's no longer a secret. The secret's out. But a mystery remains a mystery even when you know the mystery. 
because uh, we continue to sin daily and sin much. And God continues to love us with an everlasting love in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, uh, the, the gospel uh, for you, for me. Uh, for which and I am in, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Now, when we started this uh, equipping the saints program, we did not start at the beginning of Ephesians. Maybe we should have, but we didn't. At the beginning of Ephesians, Paul makes reference to the fact that uh, this is one of his prison epistles. That uh, he was in, that he is in prison, and uh, that. He makes reference to that now, that he's an ambassador in chains. Uh, Pastor, why would Paul be in prison? And uh, can you tell us anything specifically about this particular prison sentence that Paul is under? Well, um, yeah, there's a whole lot we could talk about in this particular topic, and this wouldn't even be the the first thing I would ask, but... um, Paul is uh, oftentimes arrested because he's told to shut up about Jesus, and instead he keeps on preaching. And so it goes back to that prayer we just talked about, um, where he desires um, the, the boldness to keep on preaching even though he's been arrested, he's been beaten, he's been wrongly held. In this particular instance, if we get the date of uh, the book of Ephesians correctly, I, I think it's about 60 AD, he has been arrested in Jerusalem, he has um, been sent to Rome, he has appealed to Caesar to have his trial held before him, um, and that's really then, I think, you know, especially he's going to preach uh, God's word in this is his plan anyways, to preach God's word to Emperor Nero. Um, that's the, the reason he's in chains, and that's the, the reason he desires the boldness to continue to proclaim God's word, even as it eventually leads uh, to his own beheading. Uh, so he's not praying to be a martyr, but he knows that, that is definitely a possibility. Okay, do you think he's literally in chains at this point in time, or that he has been in chains on and off during his pres- prison sentence? Does it matter? I'd say it doesn't matter. Um, we know that uh, in Rome, uh, he had a house there, but he's under watch still. There's a soldier there making sure he's not running away or escaping or anything like that. And so whether he is literally in chains or whether he is uh, under watch, uh, it doesn't really matter. The The end result is the same. Yeah, he's bound one way or the other. The uh, The key word here that, that I wanted to focus on, um, he's an ambassador, in chains. Uh, what is, I mean, we think of ambassadors today, and I, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, to me, it seems like a, a cushy job where you reward your friends and relatives with uh, st- status and high money and uh, free travel. Um, when when Paul is talking about being an, an ambassador, what what is the word picture that he wants us to know with regard to his particular calling and what an ambassador is and does. Well, an ambassador is one who 
represents someone who sent them, usually in a governmental aspect. An ambassador uh, from the United States goes to England, and whatever the ambassador says is what the government of the United States is telling him to say. So he doesn't speak his own word. He speaks the word of the one who sent him. Now, what I don't know, and maybe you know, uh, you know you've read the, the giant commentary. The word here uh, is the word presbuo. Uh, which is where we get our word presbyter, uh, elder, that sort of word comes from this. And that's really the word that he's using here. And so it could also be um, he's, he, he's a pastor, <laughs> a pastor in chains. So I don't know why we use the word ambassador here. It's definitely a fine translation, but we could also use the word elder or pastor here uh, in chains. And maybe there's a reason for it. I just don't know what it is. Now I'm not I'm not sure either. Uh, although later on in the commentary, when we uh, when we're introduced once again uh, to uh, Tychicus, I know Vicar pronounced it a little bit differently. How how would you pronounce his name? Uh, I'd say Tychicus or Tychicus. Uh, you know, there's lots okay. of different ways. I suppose okay. he'll, to he'll, Englishize it. He'll come on our next our next episode. But uh, the commentary does emphasize that Tychicus is a pastor. And uh, that that's the authority that he brings. Hey, he's a pastor just like me. You can trust what he says to you uh, in Paul's exhortation at the end of the book. The, um, uh, the commentary makes reference to another uh, place where this word or a cognate of this word is used, and that's a very familiar passage in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God exhorting us, God exhorting through us, we entreat you for Christ's sake, be reconciled to God. That, uh, that passage is uh, very, very familiar and very, very famous. And uh, while all people who are Christians are in one sense ambassadors for Christ, it is, uh, it is a part of the calling of a pastor. Uh, you've got that special call to speak on behalf of the one who sent you. And the one who sent you is the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Am, am I tracking with you on that, Pastor? Yeah, but again, I mean, um, why, why is it say ambassador instead of pastor here? I, I don't know. I mean, in a sense, uh, I guess a pastor doesn't, he's not there to speak his own word. He's there to speak the word of God. Um, but I think it's an interesting choice of translation, you know, uh, Sophocles, Herodotus, Thucydides, uh, Plato, they use this word to be uh, someone who is the proper age, the elder, the eldest, uh, or in that office uh, as an elder or an eldest, you know what I mean? So it's an interesting choice of words. Uh, well, translation wise, to, to piggyback on that question, uh, I wasn't going to read this section, but I, I have to now. This is from page uh, 762 of Winger's commentary on Ephesians in the Concordia series. And uh, Winger says, um, let's see here, to imprison an ambassador is to violate the principle of diplomatic immunity and sever relations with the one who sent him. The world stands in a broken relationship with God whom people have rejected by rejecting his messengers. For any ordinary ambassador to be imprisoned means that his mission has failed, but not so for Paul. 
Through his ensuing trial, he hopes to defend and proclaim the gospel of Christ and thereby affect reconciliation of the world to God. Far from lamenting his sufferings, Paul rejoices in them as they have given him this great opportunity. I don't know if that helps with regard to why the word choice uh, in the translation of ambassador was used, but I think that really does give us a, a marvelous picture. Uh, when you're an ambassador, you're supposed to be treated with respect, not put in chains. So maybe it's the ambassador in chains thing or word picture that uh, Paul is emphasizing here. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it definitely could be. I mean, uh, it's it's a it's a question that uh, I just don't know the answer to. Okay, and then at the end of verse twenty, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. Uh, pastor, we've talked a lot about pastors like Paul, who have been given the charge to proclaim the gospel and to speak the gospel boldly. As one who is a follower of Christ, your average, ordinary, run-of-the-mill Christian uh, in their vocation, are Christians to witness and confess the faith, the gospel, the word of God boldly, and ought they speak? We, we live in a world where there is there is very little talk about the truth of God's word and the truth of the gospel. Comments? Yeah, all Christians are to speak the gospel, to proclaim the truth uh, that is within them. Uh, Paul specifically is given that very uh, task. Uh, we read about it, I think, three times in the book of Acts and then also in some of his epistles. And I, I, the construction here is interesting as well. Uh, boldly as it is necessary for him to speak. It's really he has no choice. He has to do it. Uh, and I, I think we Christians would do well to have that same fire in our bellies uh, to know that uh, the end is near, that we live in the last days, and that uh, we really we shouldn't have any other choice except to speak uh, the gospel, the mystery of the gospel, uh, to our family members, to our co-workers, to the people we run into. If we were just a little bit more serious, as Paul was, about the gospel, I think it would do a great uh, service for the church. I think that's well said. I think that's well said. And we have lots of opportunity when everything that should be right is now considered wrong and everything that is uh, has been for thousands of years considered wrong is now promoted as right. We have lots of opportunity to confess, to speak boldly the truth of God's word, and as we do so, to proclaim that forgiveness is in Christ, his perfect life, bloody death, and glorious resurrection, and in Christ alone. This is Equipping the Saints, episode 15. We'll be back again soon. God's richest blessings in Christ. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.